if I go on the 28th, what is that? What would that do for you? Well, I usually go down the first week of March or usually I'm usually on my way down on my birthday, which is March 1st. So that's, that's been throwing me off because I have, I don't have any plans and it's uh people keep asking me as I'm sure they are you when I'm going down and they usually go down toward the end of spring training. Yeah. So now it's like going down for the beginning. If I go down at the same time, I'll be there for the beginning. If there is a beginning um, yeah. or else we'll just be down there. Like, I don't know, playing shuffleboard, waiting for, for players. Wait, to you know up. where there's a shuffleboard court? Yeah. If you actually, um, it, it's actually a law in Florida. If you throw a baseball, you have to be able to hit a shuffleboard court. <laughs> It's actually it's it's somewhere in the in the laws. I'm gonna get an Airbnb, but it I'm gonna click laundry, Wi-Fi, shuffleboard. <laughs> Maybe we'll actually be able to go to the beach this year. Nope. Oh no. Okay. Nope. Nope. Well, if there's we, no, we, if, we're, if we're down there and there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing going on. What are we? <coughs> what are we gonna do? I guess we could go and see if there are major leaguers at the beach. That's right. Yeah, we can turn it into like a Where's Waldo. Yeah. Um, that's how it is though, man. I mean, that is, uh, that's where we're at right now. It's, it's, do you go down to cover what is going on on the minor league side? Do you, do you wait because it could be a month or, or more until things are, are worked out? And for everyone asking, um, the answer is TBD. We've got a case of the TBDs, but you're going down. You'll be there. Yeah. TBA, but Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to baseball 2022, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. That is my friend and St. Louis Post-Dispatch, what, Uber writer, does everything, does videos, does podcasts, does every podcast, does this podcast occasionally, and writes a lot of columns as well. That's Ben Fredrickson. Ben, uh, at... We have had meetings about our coverage. We've had meetings about our travel itinerary. Um, but we learned for officially the obvious that spring training was going to be delayed. No games before March 5th. The first week of exhibition games canceled. Um, get your refunds from the Cardinals if you purchase tickets. At least they acknowledged that. I guess it was the tickets that made them do that. But even like March 5th seems optimistic, No. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just a uh, that's just a placeholder, right? Um, they got to the point where they had to say something to people who were calling about those spring training tickets they had purchased. So that's the hopefully not the first of many, but the first of what could be multiple pushbacks. Um, so because people have to have an answer when games are actually being missed. So um, look, we saw this coming, right? We you have laid this out, you know, very often, and I thought I think it was one of the sports on tap events where you reminded everyone said, look, you know, the players don't lose money from a missed spring training. The owners do, but, but not, uh, but not a whole lot. And the real rub here is the, when, when the regular season games start getting pushed back against. And, you know, now we're to that point too. I mean, when you think about what time needs to be had, but mm-hmm. yeah, this was, this was the predictable, um, the predictable outcome based off of the way the talks were not going. And and now it becomes, well, the damage to spring training is done. We're, we're there. 
And I think the question becomes um, what what can be what can be done before the damage gets to the regular season. But I, I hate to just skip over that and be like, well, yeah, we knew spring training was going to be messed up because spring training is a big part of baseball and mm-hmm. certainly a big part of big part of Cardinals baseball. Um, I mean, people make the trip down. They they have already missed winter warm up, and here spring training is just kind of being. Uh, thrown into the into the big pool of things that have already been screwed up so it uh, it got here quick and uh, i hate to sound pessimistic but uh it doesn't exactly seem like uh, it's the wake-up call that we kind of hoped it would be it's the third consecutive year that spring has been interrupted in some way for fans um you go back to 2020 and we sat at that game and wondered why they were playing but they didn't play after that after that <laughs> february or uh, after the march 13th game as everything shut down and then you had the complete other postponement of a of a season that didn't resume until July last year in 2021. You know it was limited crowds at the beginning, limited crowds at the beginning of the regular season too, and it wasn't very clear that there would be any crowds at all, um, and how many people would get to see spring games. There wasn't any access to the backfields for fans when that's usually where they get to get up close and get to meet and see you know, the drills and the stars and everything like that. And so you're looking at, you know, I mean, there, there are some Cardinal players, Nolan Arenado, chief among them, who has not had a normal spring training now with the Cardinals. And the fans have not had a normal spring training chance to see their team. You know, I, I think I think it stood out that they offered refunds for the tickets and it makes sense. And they made a big deal about that in their statement that the 30 clubs are united in this this plan, they're all going to have the same refunds available. Um, and, you know, I guess they wanted a round of applause, but they didn't mention anything about airfare that had to be canceled, hotels and Airbnb that maybe had to be canceled. The young kids who are going to Florida or going to Arizona for their first time to see spring training, and this happens to be when their spring break is, and now they won't get to go or it won't overlap. You know, I talked to somebody in Florida, and they said they're still trying to tell people to come down for the sun and fun, but they come for baseball and there's not going to be baseball. Well, also think too about the, the agreements and the um, partnerships that baseball has different teams have developed with these communities in Florida and Arizona. I mean, communities that have helped with, whether it's, you know, coming up with funding for stadiums or improvements or, you know, sweetheart deals on, on taxes to, to, for teams to plant their flag their spring flags in certain communities. Um, a lot of these stadiums are pr- relatively new or updated, and here they are on going on their third year of a messed up um, experience. And this right. this one this one can't be blamed on COVID. I mean, this one can be blamed purely upon the the inability to reach a compromise between the owners and the players. You went to the last three spring. Tr- this will be the third in a row. But I go back to nineteen when you know all of this talk about a stagnant, you know, slow moving off season free agency. Is it broken led to conversations about what was coming this off season? You know, the yeah. off season was 2022 when Adam Wainwright was the one who perhaps put it most directly when he predicted a work stoppage yeah. um, and later kind of, I think walked it back and maybe wished he wouldn't have been so frank um, in the, in those comments but uh, he was right, and I think he said strike, but, you know, the, the lockout came before there could be a strike, um, both different kinds of a work stoppage, but here we are. And that's what, that's what blows my mind here is that baseball knew this was coming. 
Yeah. Um, they, they saw this, this cloud looming. Right. Um, and we were talking about it back in 19 and, you know, people were saying, well, that's hyperbole or, well, why are you worrying about that now? Well, that's why we were, we weren't just trying to be doomsday scenario guys. We weren't just trying to, to be negative. We, we saw this thing coming we weren't the only ones. And we were hoping that, you know, at least I was that the one thing nobody saw coming which was a global pandemic, which which threw the ultimate curveball at everybody, including baseball, could kind of you know maybe make people see a bigger picture here. That maybe the the tough things the league had to work through along with everybody else the past couple of years would lead to a better way of doing business here. And the, the thing that bums me out the most is I, I think it somehow made things worse. Yeah, I mean we needed baseball two sides of baseball to kind of see hey you know let this be a learning experience let's find a better way here and instead it seems to have calcified um the stances and perhaps the financial you know the financial stress that the pandemic created it made it it drove the sides further apart and that's tough because I, i think the you know i think the appetite for this kind of stuff right now under the average Joe fan is, is as low as it's ever had been. Nobody likes work stoppages in sports. There's never a time where you go, Hey, that's a great time for there to be a lockout or a strike. Um, that, that doesn't happen. But I do think that this is, uh, you know, this is a terrible time for one. And, and here baseball is with its second longest one ever. In your column that appeared at stltoday.com this past week, I'll read the headline here. It's MLB fans should remember these numbers if baseball mangles the regular season and you basically paint by numbers, the problems that they've had generating any sort of urgency, you know, some of these things that you mentioned in there is, you know, 72 of the 78 available days, they did not meet. Um, There wasn't any sort of conversation. Um, You know, it were less than 40 days when people hear this to the start of regular season, they went more than 40 days after a lockout before making an offer, a lockout, mind you, that when the owner started, they said they wanted to do that to prompt negotiations <laughs> right. and then went 40 days, um, took a kind of holiday break and didn't make any sort of proposals to the union. Uh, it's disingenuous of the commissioner to say that the phone works both ways when it was the owners that imposed the lockout as a preemptive measure to, uh, to kind of neutralize the threat of a strike. We knew that was common and that's fine. It's a good gambit on their part because they learned, you know, back in 94, 95, they did not impose a lockout. And what did the players do? They they had a strike right when it was going to hurt most. And, you know, baseball lost the World Series as a result of it. The players, however, gained, um, you know, no salary cap and no real conversation of a salary cap. And now even more than 20 years later. So or I'm sorry, almost 20 years later. So no, more than 20 years later. What am I talking about? I'm, 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 I'm lacking sense, sense of sense of time is nothing anymore, man. Don't yeah, I, I'm, I'm just uh, giving it, up. Everything's just kind of melted cheese at this point. And <laughs> clearly, I'm not in a regular season form. I need to sharpen up. I need some some spring training. You need uh, a spring training. Yeah. I need a spring training. Um, but you, you know, you detailed so many of these. I mean, as you're kind of like writing them and looking them up and trying to put the numbers on it, um, what, did your frustration grow? Or did your understanding of the pace grow um, a little bit of both? I, I think the frustration for sure. And, and I'm trying not to be hypocritical because when this thing started, I, I was one of the ones who said, look, 
you know, just count on a mangled spring and hope for a full regular season and don't get caught up in the angst and the gnashing of teeth that comes if they mess up spring training. And I still, to some degree, feel that way a little bit. But then when you actually look at just how um, lackadaisical the effort was to get this thing moving, and, and you can start with when the lockout came down on December 2nd, but mm-hmm. you can really start with, I mean, you can start with the three years that it was painfully obvious that that this gap was growing and that players were were openly, you know, getting into feuds with with the commissioner and the way the league was going and just look at all of the opportunities to start bridging gaps and, and none of it none of it was taken advantage of. And and I think right now it's just a point of what I was hoping to do was just point out that, you know, if they get to the point where they're not ready to play ball come the start of the regular season. And we have no reason to believe today that they're going to be able to suddenly bridge a gap in this final 10 days here. And hopefully Mm -hmm. I'm wrong, but if they do get to that, I I think there will be significant damage for baseball. And I think it will be because in many ways, because people can look at just the total lack of urgency that it had to start getting what it knew was going to be a really tough thorny process in motion. Um, Nothing has ever hurt from two sides that are trying to find an agreement from getting together and talking. And, and I don't read too much into like the breathless reporting of, well, this meeting only lasted 15 minutes. Like they get yeah. there, they, they swap proposal and leave. I'm just talking about the number of times that they have, that they have interchanged ideas and met. Um, yeah. It's clear that both are using the amount of time not taken advantage of as leverage and that's great if you get what you want, but is it great if you get what you want, but the, everybody suffers for the sport? And I think that's what blows my mind about this is they're so, and it shouldn't surprise us because that's what baseball has become is this value obsessed, you know, operation. Both sides are now thinking like one another and mm-hmm. you can't blame the players for thinking like the owners because that's what they've been taught in how they've negotiated and, and they've been beat, so now they're responding accordingly. But I don't think that either side is really looking at the gate, the, what's what's best for everybody. I mean, if, if if players get a better deal, and and you know, there's a remarkable downturn in interest and tickets sold and ratings, and, and the money is takes a hit because people are just pissed off. Then who does that help? And, and yeah. same thing for the owners. Um, and it really comes to head for me with 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 Manfred. Like, I get that he's the commissioner, he's in charge of, of keeping the owners happy, but he's also, you know, by definition, kind of supposed to be a, a, a person who's in charge of the integrity and the well-being of the game. And I think his inability to embrace that role or to even acknowledge it has in part led to this. And I, I do think that there will be some sort of retribution for baseball if it ends up with some mangled regular season. Mm. Um, I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, maybe they can pull it off if they don't have, if they have some warped spring and they say, Hey, the season starts or it's mostly full season. Maybe they can get away with that. But if they trot out some, some wrecked regular season because they couldn't agree, I I do think that fans are going to punish them for it. Um, I I mean, I think we saw that the last time there was a, there was a work stoppage and, and maybe it was worse because of the nature of it. But I, I think that there are, there are people who will not be buying season tickets. There will people who will not be, you know, especially at this time in our country where there's everything costs more. 
um, and that's going up. I think there will be people who look at that as well. They didn't value our dollars, so we're going we're gonna to either save it or use it to, to pay for something that, that the cost is going up elsewhere. I think that baseball is not doing a good job of reading the room here. Mm-hmm. And I think the the very obvious lack of interest in, in negotiating is going to be factored into that. Um, all of that time that was wasted over the holidays, um, as if it didn't matter, wasn't valuable, or didn't need to be, it would all get worked out later. Well, that's fine if it works, but it's really, really short-sighted if it doesn't. Here is how in the coming week, both sides are playing the tension of the moment and trying to create leverage and compel urgency on the other side. On the owner's side, they've said if players want to have a season that starts on time, have full salaries and salaries when expected, they need to have an agreement in place by February 28th. The union has countered reportedly by saying that's great. If you have a shortened season, there's no way that you're going to, that they'll agree to an expanded playoff and that potential revenue pool will be gone for the port, for the owners. So that is how both sides are trying to create um, basically a foothold in the coming week um, by applying pressure, which they have is the only leverage they have really, you know, the owners can delay the season. Um, and the players can say, well, that's cool. If you do that, then you're going to lose this. And so it's it's somewhat more of the same, even their, you know, even their dueling statements on the day that, you know, the postponed spring training where the owner said they must do it to get a new deal. And the union points out rightly that, no, you could start spring training on time with the previous deal. Now (laughs) that's not, I understand why that's not appealing to owners, uh, because obviously it gives the power of a strike to the players, but there's more to it than that. There's also the fact that it likely would have been an uncapped market then. So like, say they start spring training at the, uh, at, at this time, there is nothing to stop say the Mets from overwhelming the world and signing because it would be a year without a tax because that, that the, the, the luxury tax set with the expiration of the previous CBA. So there is some maybe wariness of other owners in the owner's move, which is always a part of this, right? Like, sure. We think of this in, in terms of two parties and it is, it is two parties at the negotiating table, though a third is arriving this week and that's the calendar, but it's two parties. It's the owners, you know, negotiating committee and the unions negotiating committee, but the owners need agreement from 23 to get it so a blockade of eight owners can stop a deal and there are eight owners with differing goals than the other 22 you know just from market size from revenue size from you know stadium circumstance from city circumstance so you can see how it's a little bit more fractured than just uh, two parties bellying up to a table and talking for 15 minutes well that's the the one thing that i think baseball is it's the worst kept secret in baseball is that there are owners who are bad for baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and maybe it's not defined on how they view these issues, but it's certainly defined by the, the owners uh, fraternity being unwilling to acknowledge that there are people inside of it who are hurting the game um, through not trying to field good teams through through tanking but never having a plan to have it boomerang, yeah. um, through through refusing to you know acknowledge that that giving a little here 
even if it is means giving some to players, would be a better overall um, thing to improve the health of the game. And you know, there are some hardliners, and I, I think that's that's going to be a big storyline here. Is there are owners who see beyond that? There are owners who are better at seeing the big picture, um, but are they going to be able to convince? Um, you know, some of the ones who maybe be able to hold the process up that it's that it's better to it's better to compromise than perhaps you know take the sport truly off the rails you know in in, a, in an attempt to chase a win where really nobody would win. Um, and I think that's uh, that's going to be a story here. Um, you know that it's hard to know. It certainly seems like the players have been more willing to compromise. You know, yeah. some of the big things they came out swinging about, they've already thrown on the, the basically taken off the table. Um, the owner's proposals, you have to be, you know, an advanced uh, economist to, to come up with what actually changes in them. <laughs> it just feels like it, the, the pages just get longer and the things get shifted around and, it sure seems like their plan as well. We'll we can reassign how some of the money is spent, but when it comes to actually giving more money to the players based off of not, um, yeah. then they don't want to go down that road. And and that's why for folks who are going, well, why don't players just accept a straight up, you know, revenue share with owners that that grows off the percentage of the league revenue? Wouldn't that solve this? And in some ways, maybe it would. But the problem, part of the problem is baseball is really good at hiding its revenue. Yeah, they um, won't be honest you know, with it. The union doesn't they, trust the, the definition they don't have the of books. revenue. They don't have the books yeah. and they won't open the books. So, right. you know, that kind of goes back to my point that I don't, any owner, any owner who says, well, this isn't a financially productive venture or they, we don't make the money people think we do. My response to that and everyone else's should be the same is, okay, show us, show the books. Um, because, yeah. you know, where's the, what is the revenue from? MLB advanced media. What is the revenue from, from real estate projects around the ballpark that are only successful because there's a team playing there and players are wary of, of how that much that money is. And if, if, if they were, if they were able to agree to a percentage of that, then yeah, sure. They would probably say, let's, let's bring that on. They know that's not going to happen. Um, so that's why they're, they're reluctant to agree to it. Um, but it speaks to probably the biggest problem here is the, I don't know if the right word is trust or respect or what, but but there's a real distrust in yeah. in, the, in the negotiations, and that's that's usually how you lead to stalled negotiations. You know, absolutely. The NFL and the NHL both agreed to new CBAs during the pandemic at a more stressful time for their sports than what baseball is currently in now. It kept the games rolling. It kept things moving. Things haven't been perfect. And it wasn't, they didn't throw a parade once the new CBAs came through. But it strikes me as the fact that other leagues are able to get this, get this done and get things rolling with a, with the emphasis on keeping the action on the field or on the court. And here's baseball at a time that a season that really should be a celebration for baseball. Absolutely. Kind of truly coming out of hopefully the pandemic. And here it is you know, dealing with the same problems that were warned about before we even knew what the pandemic was. That is not the sign of a healthy league. It is not the sign of good leadership. Um, and, and I don't, you know, Manfred is is the is at the head of that. So he can pass off blame or he can try to blame the players, but there are two people 
who are ultimately the face of this, and it's Rob Manfred and it's Tony Clark, and I know there's a player's executive committee, but when there are two people who are the face of this thing and they've had a problem that they know is coming and here they are um, and it's not looking good, then I don't know where else the blame is supposed to fall. They are going to try to whip up some urgency here in the next week, right? The statement from the Major League Baseball mentioned that they're going to meet on Monday and that they're going to be available with new owners parachuting in to be a part of it. Um, where were they? In the coming uh, week. Where have they been? <laughs> it's all fair. I mean, you know what? Yeah. But Dead, it deadlines is, prompt action. I it is it. what it, we've said all along: is deadlines prompt action. Deadlines prompt action. And to be to be fair, I mean, it's it's at least the owners haven't said, "Hey, union." February 28th is a deadline for you, but we're going to act laissez-faire about it. No, they're not. I mean, they're like, well, we'll respond to this deadline too. So, you know, at least there's that. Um, I I do think that it'll be interesting because there's so much frustration and anger with baseball right now from fans. Um, You know, some are disenchanted, some are disillusioned, some are just, you know, disgusted. Some of them want their money back. Some of them won't spend any money. Some of them haven't spent money for years and are just looking for reasons to be angry. Um, You know, all of that is in play. I do wonder if that thrill of early December, as there were so many signings, right? Deadlines, prompt action. There were so many free agent signings. I do wonder if coming out of this, if maybe that is a ray of hope for baseball is there's going to be so many signings that maybe that generates interest in the game right on the cusp of spring. I mean, you're going to talk, you could, you could see a bonkers 72 hours with a new CBA as free agents are signed, as players are possibly traded, though probably that would come a week or so later once the arbitration salaries start to make sense and start to come in. But you still have, you know, what, hundreds of free agents to sign. Is that at all possible? Do you think that's at all possible to generate some interest in the game? Or will this leave such a bad taste in fans' mouth that they won't even notice? Well, I think that the quicker baseball can turn the page from to anything other than this crap, uh, the better. And if you if the turning of the page is a repeat of what we saw in the rush up to the deadline, um, yeah, where where big deals were going down because guys wanted to to get it done before the before the work stoppage, which that ultimately holy crap, like I know the system is screwed up and, and I agree with players that they need to get younger guys paid sooner and that, you know, if you've got a sport that's making more money annually and the average annual salary is declining, then take a stand, I get it. But the fact that you had, that you can't tell me the business of baseball is broken when you have a spending spree up to the moment that everyone knows a work stoppage is coming. Yeah, that, is, yeah, yeah. that is not, that's the sign, that's, that's, that's not the sign of a, of a broken business model. It's the sign of one that's being manipulated um, right. for, for, for different reasons. And people are smart enough to know that if they have that coming out, I do think it will. The most thing I hear from fans um, is not, you know, it's, it's interesting actually. I, on, on social media, on Twitter, it seemed at least in my Twitter, it seems very much, you know, anti-owner. And I don't know if that's the demographic or the target market of Twitter on emails and chats. It's very much uh, anti-player. Mm-hmm. Um, but then more than any of that, both of that is, is just wake me up when it's over is they're going to get a deal done. I'm not getting invested or care about the specifics. 
I've got bigger things to worry about. I just want there to be baseball. So if it goes away, whatever, if they want to play, I'll be paying attention, but I'm not going to get caught up in the sideshow of the, of the work stoppage. That's what I hear perhaps more than anything. Um, so, and I think there will be people who say, Hey, okay, they got a game. Okay. The schedule's set, you know, let's see, uh, let's see if, if this catches my interest again. But, but I don't think that uh, as much as the, both sides are trying to get public opinion on their favor. I do think there are a lot of people who are just like, I'm going to ignore this until, until they do something that, that says baseball is back. Um, but yes, the best way to get that crowd reengaged is to come back, but come back with a, with wind in your sails. And there will have to yeah. be because I mean, Chris Bryant's going to play somewhere. Right. <laughs> no, is going to play somewhere. Right. These aren't, these Zach aren't, he's um, going to pitch somewhere. These aren't guys who who are just going to be cast aside. These are yeah. These are these are big names who are going to make differences on on teams. And uh, yeah, I mean, there. Can you imagine too? I mean, I, I wonder how that affects the the players' leverage in this. And then you know the owners are taking advantage of that mm. because you know the players are the owners are not getting lit up from family members about where their kids are going to go to school or where they're going to live this year or if they should be looking for a house. Um, the owners, you know, they're more or less set. They're not going anywhere. Um, you know, players are in a more vulnerable spot. And I do think that the timing of this, among other things, is 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 trying to take advantage of that, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point that you make about how players are, you know, part of being unified around the players union and part of what they describe as really kind of a galvanized group. It does have the the pressure points of some families going, well, wait a minute, we're only going to have four days to know where we're going to go. Some of us may only have four days to determine where we're going to call home for the next seven, eight years Right. Um, in the rare occasion. You know, closer to home here in St. Louis, I mean, you know, Cardinal fans are frustrated. They echo the sentiment of fan bases around the country. You know, does that tone change, do you think, if the, the Cardinals shocked the world by signing a DH? coming out of this Kyle Schwarber will save baseball for St. Chris Louis. Bryant you know oh. they signed Chris Bryant and all of a sudden like you know the the the, the lockout is forgotten who, who who is the player who is the most well-known player that would uh would save baseball in St. Louis and where's the cutoff point I don't know that's a great that's a great question I guess I that's think, what I'm I don't wondering think, I don't think Colin Moran is going to get it done no <laughs> No, no we, but has Colin but Moran become the most discussed, uh, most discussed potential Cardinal in the history of off seasons? Is, is that my fault for just saying that he'd be a good know. fit? <laughs> I've never, I, I've never, I've talked more about Colin Moran in the past, uh, you know, three months than I've talked about any player ever. It's like the constant, the, the chat is not, uh, is not complete without a Colin Moran reference. The Colin Moran Chronicles. Gosh, when he signs with the Brewers, people are going to be. Oh tight. my God. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Oh, <laughs> signs a minor league deal with the Brewers and they're like, oh gosh. Um, well, but does, I mean, does Ryan Tapera excite you? Because, I mean, he did get an MVP vote. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, I want to see it, that reunion. I, I know that, look, I'm guilty. I know the, um, I know the Cardinals um, bullpen has to be worked on and, and all that good stuff. Um, but I do have, uh, I have like, I think I have scar tissue from, from, from relievers with names that you recognize being added in free agency um, only to, to catch fire in the Cardinals bullpen. So 
if they, they're going to wade back into these waters, um, I get it. But uh, the, fact that, the yeah. fact that the fact that the track record has been so sketchy there, that's going to be a big, uh, big story there. But uh, I, I will say this, I, I do think, and I've, I've made this claim and um, you know, it's not exactly the most original thing in the world, but I do think them adding um, a DH with some substance and some been there, done that would be, not only a good thing for the offense, but would actually be a good thing for Cardinals baseball fandom because there are a lot of people who are really pissed about the DH. And I don't mean to laugh about it. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, but I know that there are legitimate fans who are not happy and getting someone who could help win people over to that role through product production and performance might be huh. something that you factor into thinking a little bit um you know i know the cardinals are more worried about how it turns into wins and and all that stuff and it sounds like their plan is to you know use a you know give a guy like Juan Yepes a shot and maybe he can deliver there and there's going to be other guys who rotate through but i just know that in the american league the guys who the teams that tend to get the best performance from that spot tend to be tend to be teams that have a guy um that have a a dh who everybody knows is going to be in that lineup most days um, in, on top of taking some pressure off of the, the middle infield offensive production. Um, mm. And as they try to kind of sort through what seems like they're going to go internal there, um, adding a DH with some, with some, some umph would I think would also make fans a little bit more interested in this rule change too. How do you kind of, how do you weigh that? I mean, the Cardinals have an, a superb defense, right? So you could say, you could make the argument, well, they should go all bat, all bat. Just go get a bat for the first time ever. Just who cares where he plays, if he could, if he even brings a glove to the ballpark. <laughs> they could have a ceremonial burial of the glove like they did for Carlos Beltran in, in Houston. You know, do away with that. Just go get a bat and radically change the look and length of the lineup. Go do that. Versus, hey, wait a minute, maybe get somebody who's versatile, who hits well enough, um, but can sub in for some of the guys who are entering their mid thirties or in their mid thirties and maybe prolong their production so that you don't need 160 games at first base from, you know, Paul Goldschmidt. You don't need 152 games though. I got to imagine they won't get that um, at shortstop from Paul DeYoung. You won't, you don't need 156 games a third from Nolan Arenado. You can kind of, you can spell them a little bit. Do you think that, if they go kind of the preventative rest oriented DH and rely on the young guys that they are maybe, you know, overthinking it because obviously you can't prove that they made the wrong choice because they're right. You'd have to go into an alternate universe to see what happened in the other one. But, um, but, but do you think that they're, they're, they're making the easy choice by doing that? Well, I think they're making the, I think they're making the, the passive choice. Um, mm. If, if Juan Yepes comes up and mashes in that spot, he's going to be there every day. Um, that's just what happens. Yeah. Um, so I think what they're doing is they're, they're basically going to turn it into a, a tryout. And, and if that works, that's great. But if you end up cycling through a bunch of different guys there um, and you get below league average production and your offense becomes an issue, and this is an oh, offense yeah. under, this is an offense under fire, right? Then you've you've taken the opportunity to add an offense only piece without fretting about how it affects your what should be the baseball's best defense. 
Mm. And it's really, I guess the way I view it is you've got baseball's best defense and a chance to fortify the offense with the left-handed guy who can hit with power, which is what you need. And to not take that, even though it, it would be a minus zero, it would be of no effect to your awesome defense. It could only help your offense. I, I just think it's a matter of it makes too much sense to, to try to pass up. Um, and, and, you know, I get it. They're talking about being more versatile. They're talking about a, a lineup that changes often. But you know what? If if you go get a Kyle Schwarber or someone someone similar to that and Juan Yepes gets some shots and takes advantage, then play them both. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with having a that's, – that's the key of good teams. The teams mm. that are the most versatile – the teams that that have the 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 ability, like the Dodgers do, to, to play a bunch of different guys depending on who they're facing, they also have the the deepest benches. They have they, they have, have the financial they have the, mic they have to the do best that. Though. Players, the Cardinals I mean, do to, too. Like the no, Cardinals are not the Cardinals are not incapable of of adding a DH and also that saying, is a great point. They choose not to. Correct. And to me, it's about okay, what are your other ifs? And and again, we're seeing them once again one too many ifs potentially because their team's not set yet. I think it's important to keep remembering that they're putting, they're at risk of again, putting one too many ifs in the pot. And it goes back to what we saw last spring where there were some ifs, especially with the starting pitching. Um, There were some ifs, of course, with the outfield, you saw some things come go right for the Cardinals. The outfield clicked seems to be Mm -hmm. a good spot, but the other ifs, they, they, they went in the wrong direction for a while, and the Cardinals didn't get to where they wanted to go because of it, and they didn't change course during the season. So something, I guess I'm to the point where something's got to change. Either the Cardinals have to eliminate some potential weak spots entering a season if they're going to be so steadfast with their plan during the season, or they have to keep the same number of ifs entering a season, but then be more nimble and and proactive about addressing them um, during the year. It's easy. It very makes a lot of sense to say, hey, they've got some potential options for that yeah. DH spot. Start the season and see how a guy like Yepes does. And if you get toward the trade deadline and you're in the good spot, then you could upgrade that if he's struggling or if he's hit a slump. But, you know, how many times did we say that? And then the Cardinals get toward that trade deadline and they're not in the spot that justifies them making that kind of move. So I, I think if they're serious about altering this trajectory they've been on, which is get into the postseason, but then not be around very long once you're in there, then there's got to be a, something's got to change. And, you know, Steven Matz is a good addition, I think, for this team, but I don't think he's the, I don't think he's the guy you add and step back and say, okay, you know, this team is really ready to roll now after it got knocked out of a wild card game. When you look back to last June, and the Cardinals were, you know, their, their pitching depth was cratering. They really lacked innings outside of what Adam Wainwright was providing. There were just a lot of questions. There was also just the rash of walks. They were just giving away base runners. Um, you know, they, they, they broke the modern record for bases loaded walks in a season. That's, those are runs, given runs, um, gift-wrapped runs. And as they were going through that and they were turning to young guys and they were turning to uh, relievers that had difficulty with control, there was the obvious question about like, well, is pitching coach Mike Maddox the right guy for this? Is that, you know, are they getting the instruction? Are they getting the direction? Are they getting the coaching, these pitchers, um, that they need? Or 
because of these walks, do you have to look at what Mike Maddox was doing and should there be some pressure on his job? Lo and behold, the Cardinals go out. They prioritize strike throwers. They refresh the bullpen by using waivers and prioritizing sinkers and guys who don't walk people. And how good does Mike Maddox look as a pitching coach then? He looks genius. Yeah, genius by the end of the year. And he really didn't change. That sets the stage for what I think is a very interesting choice that the Cardinals are not, they don't seem ready to make and they don't seem um, interested in making when it's such a layup for them, given the coaching choice, given two significant coaching choices that they made. One, of course, firing Schilt and turning to Oliver Mormol. And now the front office saying, well, this is our third handpicked guy. Maybe a good time to give him the best roster any of them have ever had to prove us right. And two, the ongoing commitment to hitting coach Jeff Albert. One good way to make Jeff Albert's approach look gangbusters great isn't the continued growth of the outfield. It's the surefire addition of a bat. And no one is then talking about, well, what's the approach? The approach is a long, lengthy power pack. Excuse me. I can't even like. I can't even get through the sentence because I don't believe it'll happen, but a power pack lineup where there's name brand bats in the middle of it. You know, it seems like uh, uh, a move that the front office can make that, that gives them an, I told you so at the end of it, even though they're kind of rigging it to be right, but this would be the year to do it. It kind of feels to me like what's happening. And I agree everything with what you just said. It's so it's almost well, that doesn't make me, for a very good podcast. Well, if we no, agree listen, on everything. It's almost to me like the the fit of the DH adding a, a banger DH to this team is so obvious. It's like the Cardinals do that thing where they're like, "Well, that's well, we would never do that." You know, it's right. like sometimes there's something that's like so just so clear that that it's like the, it's time to reinvent the wheel. And and I and I'll admit I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little, a little, yeah, right, a lot, a little skeptical about this idea that once again, this is going to be the off season of being more nimble and more, more guys in and out of the lineup, less static, you know, potentially different. They could take the decision out of the manager's hands by making it easy. We have heard this. We've heard these things before. Right. And if they don't work, then the criticism falls on the manager. Think if they just took that tool off the table for him and said, we're just going to give you an awesome lineup. Make I mean, it, I understand what they want of, to do. I get it. Switch it. Instead of making the lineup where it changes because of desperation, make it change because there's too many good options to pick from. Ooh, and, interesting. And, and, the, and the option, and the, and the, especially after a year where your depth was exposed on your bench, and especially, I think it's, I think it's once again putting a guy. I don't. It's not as strong as putting a guy like Juan Yepes in a spot to fail because I think they've committed, and I understand why to giving some of these young guys chances because they, to their credit, have owned that they let some guys get away um, and that maybe they didn't give them enough of a chance. And if they're going to, you know, they if they're going to be who they are, then they have to make sure they're not letting guys use up their chances or lack thereof and seeing them thrive somewhere else. Right. Uh, so I, I get that. So, but there is a middle ground between Juan Yepes only being promoted in time to show up in L.A. and not get used and being the face of the first ever Cardinals DH in a non-pandemic season the next year. Mm-hmm. There's a middle ground there. And 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 why not find it? Um, you know, why not say, hey, we're gonna go get a guy who's a proven DH on a one-year deal and you're gonna be his understudy this year? 
and you know you're gonna you guys are gonna get some split some reps and maybe if you overtake them that's great but to me there there's it just makes too much sense the defense is this team's biggest strength and here the offense is under a microscope and it's already got a commitment to one significant hitter in there Paul DeYoung that they want him to prove his critics wrong this year mm-hmm. the one thing you can do to alleviate pressure while while not taking away, you don't have to shoehorn this guy into the defense somewhere and it hurts your your awesome defense. The one thing you can do is to go get go get a guy who you're gonna step into the box as a DH and know that this guy can do damage from day one, or at least as much as any player you can know about, right? And right. I, I don't think that that signing a DH is a is a punt on on internal prospects. I don't think it's I think that's drastic thinking. I think it can be a much more blended approach. I, I don't understand. I don't understand why, why, why they're not pursuing it. I do wonder somewhat if it's a hedge. I think that they would have to be monitoring this market. Once that moment that you talked about lifts off and these guys start to go, um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. And if they, if they don't get decent production from the DH this year, then I, I think it's going to be a fair thing to to say this was first guessed, not second guessed. We spent a lot of time talking about like what is the tipping point for the Cardinals? What is the the tipping point that makes them make a move that is uncharacteristic or you can see makes them uncomfortable? You know, is it uh, the need for a cleanup hitter because they're watching teams just avoid Albert Pujols and they've had the long interest in 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 trading for and acquiring Matt Holiday. You know, a lot of times they make these moves uh on players or they reach for players that they've had this, you know, years of interest in. You know, you think back to even David Price, like trying to make an offer for David Price. Um, that was a guy who they had years of interest in before then chasing him as a free agent. Um, maybe the one example where they didn't have the years of interest uh and they felt like compelled to try to reach out into an uncomfortable kind of like lean out over the diving board so to speak or to the ledge and look down and and possibly make a difficult decision was with Giancarlo Stanton um because it wasn't Scherzer twice it wasn't Scherzer um it was Arnado again a guy who they had multiple years of interest in and had kind of developed this idea of how good of a fit he would be for them um you know Stanton stands out as the one where it, it wasn't the long-term look that they had, um, but it was something that, you know, kind of pushed them out of their comfort zone to try to chase because the opportunity was there. I bring that up because I wonder, do you, you know, it's now more than a decade without a championship, right? They haven't had the out, the um, the postseason success that they had years ago. They do have the run of winning records, but that clearly – it doesn't seem to sit well as enough for ownership um, and certainly doesn't sit well with the most vocal fans um, as just being something that they can count on is they want more than just a winning record. So I wonder if bringing fans back to the ballpark from this, you know, labor um, angst, does that at all push them from their comfort zone? Do you think that's an, that's an, that's a factor in this? Do you think it could be, or are they just so wed to their approach um, that they trust that a 15th consecutive winning season will ultimately bring fans back? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I don't think that they view it as um, as their duty to 
to bridge Cardinals fans over the the stress or the frustration of the work stoppage. Yeah, you know, I, I think huh. that they I think their view will be, well, this was a product of baseball. It wasn't it wasn't a Cardinals <laughs> problem. Um, so you know, I, I don't think their moves will be based off of off of that issue. Um, hmm. I do think that their moves could be based off of what the other thing you mentioned, which is the the chase for the championship and reaching a decade. Um, and I think more more than anything, um, the moves and the the aggressiveness of the front office could change based off of the other change we saw this off season back before the work stoppage became the big story. Um, you know, this front office is under as much scrutiny as it has been in a really long time. Mm-hmm. And with the, with the place where John Moselleck is on his contract with the change um, in, in manager that, you know, for the Cardinals, a controversial change in that mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't easy to see coming. Um, and I think that, that Mo it is, I'm sure whether it's, whether it's feeling the pressure from, from Bill DeWitt or just the fans in general, Mo's is aware of, of the conversation around the team from the mm-hmm. fans. Um, and it, you know, he's, he takes that pulse. So I, I think that there is probably motivation there. I, I think that, you know, he's, he's, he's been good at his job for a long time and he's been doing it for a long time. And one of the reasons he's been good at it is because there is, whether he admits it or not, a desire to, to prove people wrong. Um, who are doubting him. And, and I think that that could be an effect this year. I really do. Um, mm. Now, will you see it? It's and, and what is the response? Is the response to it, okay, I'm going to go make moves or make additions that they don't see, people don't see coming? Or is it I'm going to prove people wrong by doubling down on what we do and prove to them that that works and it can't work? Um, that's the, that's going to be the, the difference. I, I do think... The one thing that has to change is one or the other. You either have to build a team that is stronger from the start so it has a better chance of kind of winning with this set it on the path and step back and watch it roll plan, or you have to be more willing and 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 aggressive in, in fixing things on the fly. You open yourself up to the possibility of, of having happen. Um, you know, I, I think that they've been guilty of having too much of a hands-off approach once spring training got, gets off the ground in recent seasons all the way mm-hmm. through the trade deadline. And, and I think that that's going to be the thing that it, something either has to change before or after or else this is going to be, you know, another one of those years where there's big expectations entering the year, but, you know, the team is, is on not a, an upward trajectory when it comes time to, to hit the end of the season now. 17-game winning streak, upward trajectory for sure. But I'm talking about getting to the point where you're strapping on a a, a rocket you know, at the trade deadline as opposed to doing some tinkering and hoping it works out for the best. Um, yeah. It did. It worked out for the best of the Cardinals in terms of how the regular season ended. Not as good as it could have been, perhaps. And it certainly it didn't carry over into the playoffs. But their, their question is are they going to get back to that next level of competing in the postseason where you're not just happy to be there, you're trying to do damage there? And, and I think that's the question that's that's that the Cardinals fans are are waiting to see, much more so than what are the Cardinals doing to, to bring them back from the work stoppage. I, I don't think Cardinals fans have forgotten 
you know, the fact that, that they haven't been deep in a while. And I think that hunger is, is going to be right there for those who are, who are not turned off by the, by the work stoppage. This is the season of prospect rankings and the Cardinals have had a, several guys rank rather high, you know, in, in some rankings, they got two top 20 players in Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman. Um, you know, they've had as many as four or five players considered for top 100s, depending on where they go, if they go to a 110 or a 111 or something like that, it's pretty much consensus is that, you know, they have Matthew Libertor, who's a top 100 prospect, Ivan Herrera, the catcher, um, who's on the, on the horizon. He gets a lot of run as a top 65, top 50, even prospect. And then of course the, the two big boppers, um, one from the left Gorman and the other from the right Walker, um, one on the brink of the majors Gorman, the other on the brink of being likely a top five prospect if he goes at his current trajectory, and that's Walker. Um, young man, still, you know, really new into pro ball, but, you know, first-round pick out of the 2020 draft, but he's moving fast, and, gosh, he has the look of a of a middle-order hitter, on, you know, like the Cardinals haven't had a whole lot of coming through their system here in the last few years. Uh, you know, a little programming note, we're going to join the, the prospect ranking business um, as part of something that we're going to launch here in the new future. We've added to our staff, Daniel Guerrero is going to join us uh, at the, at the post dispatch at stltoday.com. And at times on this podcast, he's going to be a big part of the minor league coverage that we're going to have and that we're expanding lots of exciting things ahead to look for from stltoday.com and the post dispatch as far as baseball coverage goes. That said, I, I could see a scenario where the Cardinals come out of this and they try to sell fans on the future. And I, I kind of think that's a mistake given they, kind of, they should have a pretty good team in the present, but I could definitely see them, you know, pitching to us and talking to us about like the, the talent on the horizon, the Mason wins, the Walker, the Tink Henson. You know, these guys who are coming, Andre Palantes, who is near um, Zach Thompson. I, I could see them talking a lot about their future. How, what kind of sales pitch is that, do you think? Well, I think it's great to have young, exciting prospects on the horizon. That's expected for the Cardinals as, uh, as a team that cares a lot about its, its draft and develop model. And, and its fans do too. Um, so that's great. But I think that also has to be weighed against the talent that's that's going to be going offline for this team. Um, you know, this we think is going to be the last year of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. Um, you know, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, if they're, they, maybe they're still at their peak, but uh, they're in that window where it's going to be autumn um, sooner rather than later. So, you know, for every, that's the, that's the, the challenge, right. Of, of sustained success is, for every exciting player you've got coming, there's probably another one who is, who is, who is trending toward the, toward the other side of their career mm-hmm. as these young guys trend toward their best. Yeah. Um, they've got a, they've got a core right now with Wayno, Yadi, Goldschmidt, Arenado, young talented outfield that to me looks like one that should, if supplemented correctly and, and, you know, tended to aggressively managed well, which we'll see how Ali does. Um, I mean, we, we've, I think everybody has solid expectations for him, but he's never sat in that seat before. Um, they should be a team that is, that is excited about the future, but is, 
is relevant, um, meaningfully so in the present. So I think that uh, I think I don't think a lot of people buy tickets for the present team to see the future. I mean, I don't think (laughs) people are thinking about like, man, Jordan Walker is going to be really good. Let's go buy a ticket and see these guys play. Right. But I can see how that would be one that they'd pitch. Ten years is no joke for this team, man. Um, Mm -hmm. It's first world problems. I get it. But the Cardinals are supposed to be a first world team. Um, Mm. And so to say, well, you know, a lot of teams would like to have a championship within the past 10 years. You're damn right but a lot of teams aren't the Cardinals. So yeah. what's going to change either the expectation and the standard or the, or the trajectory of the team? Because, you know, that's, that's a real conversation here nationally right now. Um, baseball is a mess, but beyond that nationally right now, if you ask, if you ask the, the average baseball fan to name the, the heavy hitters, the Cardinals used to be in that conversation and they haven't been for a while. And then yet, the league is is vulnerable. I mean, well, they the, league has, the league has other issues right now. <laughs> no, but I mean, the National League, the pennant is there for the taking. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. I mean, it's not. I mean, the, the 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 Cardinals line up well, and they're you know, Mike Farron was a guest on the best podcast. I mean, we said they always seem like that one move away, and it's not always right. like a huge move. It's their one move away from being the favorite. Well, it's a DH. You know, yeah, there you go. <laughs> The way to bring people back to the park, ironically, in a National League city that seems allergic to the DH, is to have a DH. Is to actually have a DH that people you. want to and come you're speaking see. Speaking my language, the name brand DH. How about that? I want to I write the column about this. That's, is the hitter. This is the hitter who who sold St. Louis on the designated hitter. I want to write that. It's just so funny that the the Cardinals' salvation coming out of a lockout. A National League team, the 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 king of the National League, <laughs> would say, you know what, you know what'll bring us back the DH. Man, if you told people that twenty five years ago, they would have like, you know, gosh, they, I don't even know, they would have, they would have cursed a whitey ball blue streak. Coming in, coming in two thousand twenty three, Nelson Cruz's signature pizza at Emos. Wow. <laughs> But you, well, only much, the, you, only, you only get the discount if you're older than 40. <laughs> we, we we were joking about not knowing when we go to spring. What we do know is that we'll be writing a lot about the future um, if they don't come to an agreement shortly because minor league camp is going to go on. There will be prospects there, and there will be coverage there. There will be coverage from Ben Fredrickson. There will be coverage from the rest of us at stltoday.com. You can find all of it at stltoday.com. You can also look for uh, – your DH propaganda at stl.today.com <laughs> and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. That is St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. I have to go and uh, I really think I ought to lock down some of these travel things. We don't really know what awaits us, but we definitely know that there'll be things to cover in Florida, so it's probably time to go. Um, Let me know when you find out when I'm going. I'd like to know. I will. I will let you know. I, I also I also need to figure out when we're going to start like season 10 of the best podcast in baseball. Usually we start it with the opening of spring training. Wait, is, yeah. Is this, this the start this, of season 10 or no? What are man. we doing? Yeah, this is not. It's past season nine, so you can't call it season nine anymore, but it's not yet season 10. I think you're we're in the, still in season you're in the, nine. You're in the matrix, man. 
I am. But I mean, we should be having like a big deal. Like we should get t-shirts and logos, 10 years of BPIB. That's, that's a good feat, right? More than impressive. That's, that's what almost 400. Were Were you like one of the first podcasts ever? Yeah. Yeah. One of, I don't know about that. When we, I do know that like Birdland was one of the first baseball blogs at a newspaper website. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. I don't know that there are many podcasts around 10 years ago. Yeah. I know. How about that? 10 years ago. Pretty exciting. It's crazy on your first podcast. I think you predicted a uh, work stoppage in, in 2022. Yeah. I also predicted the DH coming to the national league. <laughs> you were Paul Revere of the DH. I'll give you I that. I was Paul Revere of the DH. I tried to warn people. I knew it. I knew it. As soon you tried as to warn them it coming. You tried to warn them, and I've tried to convince them it's a good thing. <laughs> All right, ben, man. Thank well, you very much. I look, I look forward, forward to seeing to, uh, you in person. Yes, sir. We'll do this uh, in Florida next time. Yeah, yeah. Next time you and I record a podcast, it will be in Florida. That much we can uh, we can we can promise people. And how about that? That'll be the start of season ten. Perfect. I like it. All right. All right. There we go. All right. For the best podcast in baseball and St. Louis Post Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. I'm baseball writer Derek Gould. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closet by Design. Stay tuned. Stay informed. Stay healthy. And I think I'll have one more podcast from St. Louis before talking to you from Florida.